Welcome to this week's episode of Graveyard Coffee Talk. We are your hosts, Amanda and Corinne. And guys, we are on a two mic setup. In person, even. In person. This is so exciting. It is exciting. And, and it's we're barely caffeinated. Uh, we have just so far. So far. I have only had one cup of coffee today, and it is almost 1 p.m. <laughs> and I deserve a medal. Look, the one cup was large. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I also, according to my uh, smartwatch, only had one hour of restful sleep last night. So, yeah. You're welcome in advance. This will be an episode. Uh, so, speaking of coffee. Uh, yeah, what, what we got, Amanda? Because we, we got the same thing. <laughs> we did. We went to Heine Brothers, which I know we've mentioned on the podcast before. Support your local coffee shops, especially ones that have unionized. And uh, we got the Mariah Cherry. It is white chocolate, cherry, and espresso. And you. I hate that. Why? (laughs) Why? Why would you do this to me? (laughs) Oh, because we are recording our Christmas episode, which Merry Christmas to everyone who celebrates. This episode comes out Christmas Day. And uh, have a joyous winter break if you are not celebrating Christmas. Uh, happy Hanukkah, because I know Hanukkah is still going on. We're actually, um, you know, we're a, a dual faith house um, in my home. So we're actually going to the Brotherhood Latka dinner tomorrow night as we're recording. Um, that sounds so good. And I'm really jealous. I am so excited. And I think the best part of it is we've been trying to explain Hanukkah mm-hmm. to my three-year-old uh, ahead of this so that he sort of knows what's going on because yeah. it's a bring your own menorah dinner. Oh, um, and so he started walking around. A, kids' kitchen toys are bougie. Yeah. Uh, he started walking around with his little mini bottle of olive oil. <laughs> going, I'm going to add a little oil to this just to be on the safe side. I love him. I love him so much. Uh, he also picked out the bag that your Christmas gift was in, by the way, saying, Kim needs it for her dice. I, so what I'm hearing is I need to make sure that I carry my dice in that bag next time I'm over for game day. It will make him so happy. He also tried to buy you about six gifts at Target today. Oh, I love him. That's so cute. <laughs> so I'm it was adorable. I made a good impact on your kid. Oh, yeah. You know, hopefully it makes up for the last time you were over him saying, when are people going to leave? It's taking <laughs> forever. That was hilarious. It was great. It's whatever. Um, so I guess to dovetail into that, what is our tarot card? Yeah. Okay. So my Christmas gift from Amanda was actually a new tarot deck. I'm very excited. It is the Tarot of the Divine by Yoshi Yoshitani. 
hilariously, I actually have one of their designs on a shirt that I had just pre-ordered back when they were doing a Twitter sale back in COVID days. Um, and it's really, really beautiful. It's all full color and it's drawn from folklore around the world. And my very first draw for this episode was the Three of Coins, which comes from, uh, the imagery comes from Nepal and Tamang mythology, which I don't know a lot about, so I will have to do some research. This will be a really fun jumping off point. Uh, but the Three of Coins represents learning from one another. And uh, in Upright, which is how I drew it, can indicate studying, growth, collaboration, success, and recognition, which I think also dovetails really nicely into our very first ever corrections section. Which will not be our last, I'm sure. For um, certain. You know, we got a very, very kind email after our most recent episode, the Fake Lore episode, from our friend Aaron at the Appalachian Folklore Podcast, uh, which if you have not listened to it, what are you doing? Go listen <laughs> now. Um, but I'll let Corinne take this. Yes. So uh, I owe a huge debt of gratitude to Aaron for being so kind and reaching out to us. Um, during the episode on fake lore, I asserted that Welsh and English traditions like Mari Lewin and the hunting of the Earl of Rhone are examples of fake lore. That is 100% incorrect. I misunderstood what I was reading, and I drew some incorrect c- conclusions from that. And for that, I apologize. I'm still very much a novice, and I am so grateful that Aaron was kind enough to provide links to help me to better understand the topic. So that said, thanks, Aaron, and uh, I'm glad that I will get to continue to learn more. Yes, and by the time this episode is up, we will have posted um, a little bit more on Twitter. Uh, again, we just want to make sure that anyone who heard the incorrect bits of the most recent episode get those corrections. Yes. Um, because, look... It, I think we've been very upfront with the fact that neither of us are folklore scholars, but that doesn't mean we want to put out incorrect information when it's within our control to not do so. Yes. So again, if we ever say something and you know more than we do, whoever you are listening, the answer is probably yes, you really do. <laughs> um, Let us reach know. out to us. Let us know. We want to learn more. For sure. Uh, yeah, Aaron linked to some stuff that I haven't had as much time to dig into because while the holidays are busy. Yeah. Uh, but I am looking forward to buckling down as we slide into the, the easy part of the end of the year. Easy. Easy. That's okay. It means that my husband doesn't get to choose what we listen to in the car for a while. Well, he gets to learn too. He does. <laughs> so, Amanda, now that we have exposed my whole butt, on our last episodes. I mean, I just went with it. it <laughs> you, it's because you trusted me. It's a terrible mistake, that. Um, Any hoozles. What yes. is our topic today? There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. This episode, our very special Christmas episode, we are discussing Christmas ghost stories. Uh, (laughs) Corinne's favorite. I I love it. It's great. I love being scared. So I wanted to open this up uh, now that I have subjected you to my terrible singing twice this episode. You're welcome. (laughs) Uh, With a uh, uh, opening this up, I can talk. 
with a quote from the introduction to the Valancourt Book of Victorian Christmas Stories, volume er, Christmas Ghost Stories, Volume 1, which was edited by Tara Moore. Uh, quote, to capture the Victorian ghost story experience is to whisper it by candlelight, to feel the tendrils of December's chill reaching from the darkness. And I could spend this whole episode just reading from this introduction because it's an excellent primer on the Victorian ghost story tradition. I saw it recommended a lot while I was doing my own research. It's so good. And I need to get the other volumes. I only have volume one. Um, and there were only, I think, two stories that didn't quite get me. But I'm also learning that I just don't actually like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's writing. Um, Fair and valid. So, you know, that's just me. Um, but I couldn't resist that quote. Of course. Uh yeah, last year I spent December reading one story per night from this collection, and it was just a really nice way to celebrate Christmas yeah, for me. sure, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you guys could see Corinne's face. It's the best. Uh, sorry, this beginning is so disjointed because it turns out that finding Christmas ghost stories from the U.S. Mm-hmm. is a lot trickier than I thought it would be. Yeah. And, and that could be me failing on search term it's bingo. Not, it's not. I actually have a little bit about why. I got a little bit about that, but I also ended up a little bit confused um, doing this research. There were some conflicting bits of information. And yeah. um, so I don't want to go yes. too far in that on my end. Uh-huh. Uh, but I do have some fun tidbits about ghost stories in Victorian times. Uh, okay. So I'm going to try not to step on your toes too much, Corinne. Go for it. So the Christmas Literary Annual came into popularity in the 1820s, 1830s. And these anthologies of poetry and prose came out in December, as you would expect, Mm -hmm. and were incredibly popular, especially with upper middle class families. And while they weren't exclusively horror Ghost stories were definitely among the most popular stories in these anthologies. Yes. And a fun fact, it is estimated that as many as 70% of the Christmas ghost story authors were women. Okay, are you question, are you citing Carter Haw School, School uh, of Folklore and the Fantastic? No. Really? Because they definitely cited that in one of their articles that I read for this. And I really wanted to I, some of their classes. I uh, used the introduction from the <laughs> Valancourt book of Victorian Christmas ghost stories as a launching off point. Understood. Um, And, you know, that's not to say that the ghost stories that were published at Christmas were necessarily Christmas ghost stories. Yes. Um, For example, uh, for an example that I think you'll know the story, Corinne, Edgar Allan Poe's story, The Pit and the Pendulum, was first published in the literary annual The Gift, A Christmas and New Year's Present for 1843. I know that I read The Pit and the Pendulum at some point in my life, but apparently my brain has completely blacked that story out of my head. So I don't know that I've ever physically read it. Because growing up, we had uh, an audiobook tape of various Edgar Allan Poe short stories that mom played in the car at Halloween because she was overthinking the the whole being a good parent thing and was like, I, I don't know. It, 
we have to drive a lot right now. Is it better if they read books while we're driving? (laughs) And the answer is, I mean, probably, I don't know. My obsession with horror (laughs) stemmed from this. Um, And I just remember the pit in the pendulum every once in a while in the text um, as the protagonist realizes that the pendulum has lowered some, there was a a swooshing sound. Huh. As if the pendulum was getting closer. And I remember it being louder each time. I hate that, actually. Oh my gosh. I just, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, okay. I, I read the illustrated classics of a lot of classic literature in the third grade because that was like most of what our classroom library was. Mm-hmm. So I probably haven't read the real story. I read the adapted version for small children's. Ah. And I was still, it scared the bejesus out of me. Though somehow I managed to miss the entire incest undertones of Fall of the House of Usher. But again, I was a third grader, so I'd like to think that I, that would have missed me anyway. I'd hope so. Um, No, I'm pretty sure that that audiobook and the pit and the pendulum was my first introduction to the idea of the inquisition <laughs> so you know no one expects the spanish inquisition teach them young yeah um all right sorry now that i've gotten you completely off topic oh you're fine i just have to find where i am in my notes it's cool <laughs> um but no i'm just imagining you know picking up a literary annual before a christmas eve party in 1842 gathering in the sitting room with your family, nothing but firelight from the hearth and a few candles keeping the darkness at bay, and just experiencing that story for the first time as the most gregarious member of your family reads it out loud. (laughs) The light flickering across faces as everyone imagines the pendulum blade coming closer and closer. And that is the sort of Christmas spirit that I am here for. Mm, We can agree to disagree. No, I love it so much. I... Uh, again, not to go on a tangent too much, but it's our Christmas episode, and sometimes I can give myself a present and go on tangents. <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, I run a Christmas one shot of whatever RPG strikes my fancy. Uh, haven't done it the past couple of years because it hasn't been safe in yeah. December to have too many people over. Um, but, you know, I'm picking it back up this year. I don't know. I I am fully for the it gets dark so early. Everything is eerier in the dark. I'm here for it. Christmas should be full of cheer and horror. Cheer, yes. Horror, less, yes. (laughs) And then now, because I'm me, I couldn't help but briefly include an allegedly true American Christmas ghost story. Uh, one that every true crime podcast on the planet has already covered. Yeah. And that is the Los Feliz Murder Mansion in Los Angeles. I have at least heard of this. This sounds familiar to me. Well, maybe. Uh, and I only say that because in trying to remember what this case was called, I googled Los Angeles Haunted Mansion. Ghost Tour Los Angeles. And um, yeah, basically, are you okay, California? <laughs> no, they're not. It's California. No, I, one of those points where, like, I recognize the name, but I couldn't tell you fuck all about it. Yeah. So, so I'm not going to get too in depth into 
the why behind the haunting. Mm-hmm. Um, December 6th, 1959, Harold Perelson murdered his wife with a ball-peen hammer, brutally beat his teenage daughter, then killed himself with the combination of water, acid, and tranquilizer pills. Jesus. And again, I'll let the true crime people go into the speculative reasons yeah. why he did this, because again, everyone has covered this yeah. <laughs> at this point. We're going to focus on the aftermath. Okay. So one year after the murder, the home was sold to a couple who only used the over 5,000 square foot mansion as a storage facility. What? Yeah. And it said that they never even bothered changing the Perelson's decor. They just moved their stuff in. I hate that. And never even stayed a night. Okay. I I, I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to stay the night either, but I still hate that. Well, I wouldn't have bought a mansion that I didn't intend on staying the night in. Yeah. But that's me. And their son inherited the property in 1996 and also used the home for storage. Just buy a fucking storage unit, y'all. Right? Buy a whole, like, storage unit lot. It's probably cheaper. At L.A. prices, almost certainly. Uh, now, as you might imagine, an abandoned mansion with a tragic history invites all sorts of people to try to come and look inside because oh, yeah. humans are all voyeuristic, terrible people. Um, and what people claim to have seen is pretty eerie. So allegedly, when you peer through the windows that haven't been cleaned in decades, mm-hmm. You can still see the stack of Christmas presents neatly wrapped under the dead tree. Okay. Waiting for the Perelson children to open them on Christmas Day. Oh, yike. People who say they've trespassed, and I say they say they've trespassed because everyone will say that they've been somewhere. i taking these sorts of ghost encounters at face value, especially before the security system was installed Um, which I believe happened sometime in the 90s. Um, I just, grain of salt. Yeah, understandable. Um, But people who say that they've trespassed claim to have seen shadows moving in the house. I hate that. Or to have felt a presence watching them. hate that. Uh, The property was sold in 2020 to a real estate investor who does plan to renovate it finally. Okay. So the unchanged family decor should be a thing of the past at this point. Awesome. Um, Though whether the ghosts evict themselves along with the stack of presents or stay to greet the new residents remains to be seen. Thank you, Amanda. I fucking hate that. You're welcome. But that's okay because payback's a bitch. Oh, no. (laughs) Payback is a bitch. I just... Y'all need to understand that this is on the record proof that I willingly read ghost stories for this podcast. (laughs) She did. I got the texts going, why? Why am I doing this to myself? It's like nine o'clock at night. I'm like, I hate this. I go to bed early. So like nine o'clock is late for me. Anyway, um, so in general, Christmas, the solstice and winter in general has always been a popular time for sharing spooky stories. Uh, Not in the United States. We kind of co-opted Halloween for that. And there are various cultural reasons, which are kind of cool that I read about. But that's neither here nor there. Again, that that was the one that I saw conflicting reports on. So I wasn't sure what was accurate. Because some sources stated that it was the puritanical 
English versus the Scottish and Irish immigrants. So what I saw was that the Scottish and Irish immigrants are the reason why we do spooky at Halloween. Yes. The reason we don't do spooky at Christmas is the Puritans. And that was from Smithsonian Mag, which I'm willing to to give a lot of credence to. Right. Uh, anyway, it's one of those, like, I get it. It's dark early. I get the appeal of sharing stories around a fire, even if my personal preference is wholesome and heartwarming, too gruesome and terrifying because I'm a fucking pansy. Uh, it is a liminal time. You are passing from the darkest days of the year onward towards the spring equinox and increasingly brighter days. Mm-hmm. I was talking. I have a coworker in Prague, and she was talking about how dark, how early it gets dark where she is because she's much further north than me too. And I was like, "That sounds awful." She's like, "Well, I mean, it's not like I'm in Svalbard. It's dark all the time there right now." And fair, I was like, fair point. Fair point. Uh, anyway, the Victorian era was a real heyday for spooky ass tales at Christmas especially because uh, the industrialization of the printing process made books, magazines, and newspapers something that was very very easily accessible to anyone. And as History.com's article on the subject puts it, this gave Victorians the opportunity to commercialize and commodify existing oral ghost stories, turning them into a version they could sell. I did see references to that. Yes. Um, I also saw references to it being a backlash against ghost story-esque tales that were going around in the 18th century, the Mm. 1700s, yeah, because everyone was enlightened and there was a scientific reason for every haunting. Of course, yeah. And that was also part of it. But it's so much easier when all of a sudden you can mass produce books, you can mass produce magazines. And it actually really strongly reminded me of Hyakumonogatari, like we talked about in some of our earlier episodes, where in Japan... They combined the tradition of playing Hyakumonogatari with the development of printing presses that suddenly made books full of ghost stories from both Japan and abroad insanely popular. Mm-hmm. I just like, I liked that little connection. I don't know if Hyakumonogatari is more popularly played in the winter or not. I don't know enough about it. I have no idea. That is, that is an area where I am. Yeah, I don't know. Ignorant is not a strong enough word. <laughs> totally blank. Yep. Uh, and according to doctors Sarah Clito and Brittany Warman, the folklorists and founders of the Carter Haas School of Folklore and the Fantastic, which again, side note, I have been eyeing their courses for more than a year now, and I think 2023, I might finally bite the bullet and invest in a couple of their their classes. Do it. Uh, another reason for the growing popularity of all things creepy and occult in the British Empire was that ghost stories offered fantasies of destabilization of the powerful at a time when the British Empire was at its height. And part of it is simply that legends are powerful ways of dealing with anxiety and having fun. And they always have been. And while I might not agree that ghost stories are fun, because (laughs) I am a coward, I can absolutely understand wanting to imagine the mighty being toppled. No. Wouldn't wouldn't have any opinions on... Various billionaires and their... And their... Goddamned egos playing out. I would fist fight Elon Monk. Musk. Monk. <laughs> I'm sober. I'd still fist fight him. I, I'm, you know what? Fuck it. No, his name is wrong. I'm calling him Elmo. I'm going to fist fight Elmo. <laughs> Not the Muppet. The man. Oh my gosh. That is... I'm going to fist fight Elmo. <laughs> is the audio clip that I am going to isolate from this episode. <laughs> And just play it everywhere I go, because that is a mood. I mean, yeah. 
I'm sure every parent on the planet will agree with me at some point. Look, he lies to children. Elmo, you do not have two ears. I am looking at you right now. There are no ears on your head. Stop singing that song. Okay. I'm sorry. You're good. I had an hour of sleep last night. Yeah. It's fine. So, yeah. Um, And the reason, again, that you had such difficulty was because, fortunately for me, the tradition never really caught on as strongly in the United States, which, again, according to the Smithsonian Magazine, we can blame on the Puritans, which we can blame just so very much on the Puritans for our weird-ass culture. Oh, yeah. But in the spirit of the holidays, and because payback is such a bitch... I read some Victorian ghost stories. Technically, this one is Edwardian. It was published in 1908. How dare you? I know. And I will summarize it probably badly. Uh, I was good and I did not cheat by just summarizing a a Christmas carol badly. Because I could have did that. You know, never actually read that until last year. I've never read it. I I pretty much, if it's not the Muppet version, why bother? And that's valid. Yeah. I, Charles Dickens would be proud of the Muppet Christmas Carol. He would be. I did see, he was responsible for a lot of editing of those magazines. Yes. And and got real sick of it. He, there's, we're a literature podcast. (laughs) Um, There's a bit in A Christmas Carol that I'm going to paraphrase horribly. Do it. Where Scrooge. I think it's Scrooge. It might have been his nephew. Read it a year ago. Our brains are leaking. I'm sorry. Um, Where someone, I feel like it was Scrooge because it was even worse coming from him, gets very upset about a bakery being closed on the Sabbath because what? are, Are the poor supposed to starve for God? And that was because... At the time that Dickens was writing it, there were several high-profile politicians mm. who were being incredibly sanctimonious. Of course. Who wanted businesses, including the bakeries and, you know, the restaurants that would donate mm-hmm. scraps, essentially, to the poor. Uh, yeah. It, it was... a huge issue because again people did depend on this to eat that day yes and why why is your version of worshiping who you claim is a loving god to starve yeah the needy um i i summarize that incredibly poorly i didn't prepare those notes that's just yeah it's not like we never go off notes ever never we are Yes, but sometimes I sound like I've ever strung together an English sentence before in my life. I sure as shit and don't. today is not that day. I sure as shit don't ever sound like an intelligent <laughs> adult. Any poozles, I am going to summarize for your pleasure The Kit Bag by Algernon Blackwood. Okay. I saw this one recommended on several, like, if you're going to read Victorian ghost stories, read this one. And I'm like, this is Edwardian bitches, but that's okay. Uh, anyway. In this, our protagonist is a young lawyer who has just successfully defended an accused murderer who is described as having a bat white face. And I I thought bats were brown, so I'm going to have to look at bats in the UK because maybe they have white bats there. I don't know. But anyway, he is getting ready to spend the Christmas holiday skiing and having fun in the Alps because the case is closed. Mm -hmm. His client has gotten off 
on these murder charges. And uh, yeah, so he's, he's getting ready to go have some fun. He realizes that he doesn't actually have a kit bag, which Google tells me is kind of similar to a duffel bag, because I did have to Google that, even though it probably would have become apparent as I read further. Uh, and his senior partner at the law firm is like, oh, I'll just have one dropped off at your lodgings for you. So our good dude gets home and gets the promised kit bag from his landlady, who's received it for him, and he starts packing. Gotta love someone who waits till the last minute to pack. Couldn't be me. Never. I actually, I'm really obsessive about packing, so it really couldn't be me. Oh, no, I am absolutely (laughs) packing at the last minute and driving my husband crazy. Yeah. Anyway, this dude fits heroic amounts of stuff into this bag. Like, I am genuinely jealous of the capacity of this bag. And he starts noticing, like, really quiet sounds from the rest of the house that are starting to set him on edge. Uh, And let me just say that Algernon Blackwood is very good at building a sense of apprehension. Just... Listen to the sentence. It is difficult to say exactly at what point fear begins when the causes of that fear are not plainly before the eyes. Okay. So good. And at one point, our protagonist thinks that the way the bag has kind of like folded down in on itself looks like the alleged murderer that he has just defended. And then he thinks he sees someone on the landing of his building and hears what sounds like someone very stealthily making their way into his room. And guys, I read this at night and I hate it. This was a mistake. So instead of like calling the cops or whatever, our dashing young lawyer dude goes into the room. Why? Uh, Why? Because it's fun to put ourselves in mortal danger. Yeah. And of course he goes in the room and it's empty because we have to build that tension. But... The bag is no longer where he left it. Dun, dun, dun. And he's all like, no, this is fine. Everything's fine. And he goes into his sitting room to calm down by the fire. You know, smoke a cigarette, whatever. And of course, he is actually consumed with all of the horrific imagery from the trial because the alleged murderer had apparently, like, dismembered his victim and, like, doused them with lime. All bad. And they would have had photography by then. So you had crime scene photos. Uh, So, of course... Uh, he's British, so he just stuffs that shit deep down and turns it into an ulcer for later. Oh my god, apologies to <laughs> everyone in the UK listening to this episode. Listen, I say that as someone who also just stuffs all that shit deep down and turns it into an ulcer. <sighs> so he finally goes back in his room. And guess what? The bag has moved again! And it kind of looks like someone just hid behind it? Which, seriously, how big is this bag and where can I buy one? So I think we found the origins for Mary Poppins' bag. (laughs) This is the gritty reboot. Anyway, he looks around. He doesn't see anybody. But oh, hey, is there a bloodstain on that bag? And in his panic to get away, because he's freaking right the hell out now, he manages to hit his light switch. So then he's like scrabbling, trying to turn it back on. But he's still freaked out. And like, maybe he shouldn't turn on the lights because now at least he can't see whatever feels like he feels like is in the room with him. But he turns on the light and sees the murderer in his room. And he does what any sensible person would do, and he faints from sheer terror. I mean, that's valid. Yeah, fight, flight, fawn, freeze, whatever. Yep. Sometimes your brain just turns itself off. God, I wish. So, the next morning, his landlady finds him and is like, oh, did you not go to bed? Are you sick? Also, your boss sent somebody over. 
And the guy the boss has sent over is so very apologetic because, whoopsie doodle, we didn't actually bring over the boss's spare kit bag, just realized it. We accidentally gave you the kit bag that the alleged murderer's victim was found in. Sorry, our bad. Uh, oh, by no? the way, the guy that y'all defended killed himself as soon as he was released and left a note saying he'd rather be put away in the bag, the same as he did with that woman that he killed. And that's just where the story ends? So I hate it, and if I have to know about it, so do you. Thanks. You're welcome. I read this late at night, and then I read another one that I was going to summarize, but the formatting was really bad, so I had like trouble actually understanding the story. Because <laughs> it was on a very old webpage, so it's mm-hmm. just like lines of text from one side of the screen to the other. Oof. It was really hard. I, I almost copied it just so that I could reformat it, because I was struggling. Um, yeah. Dead people and a haunted child leading people off into the moors to freeze to death. I don't actually know what oh, the plot of the story was. I think that story is actually in here. That is uh, ringing a bell, but I am not sure which one it was. Hold on, I can tell you. Because I got it off of Carter House School's recommendations. And by here, by the way, I've got my copy of, again, I'm going to keep shilling this, the Valancourt Book of Victorian Christmas Ghost Stories. Um, since I realized people listening can't see me gesturing yeah. no, they really to can't. something. Okay, apparently this is just not going to open my link. That's bullshit. Ooh, why you fail me? Nope. Okay, apparently this link is like not working. I'm going to have to replace this because when you I copy-pasted it... ghost link for the ghost story. Well, I copy-pasted it and got porn. No. So I don't know what's going on there. I'm going to have to fix that. Something really happened. Uh, does it sound like it might have been the old nurse's story? That's the bitch. Yeah. That one is terrifying. Well, it wasn't as terrifying as it could have been because the formatting was bad and I couldn't read. Yeah, I I only remember most of these stories vaguely, whether I liked them or not. That one, I still have vivid Ugh. images in my mind from reading it. Um, definitely, definitely worth reading if you want a nice spooky winter story. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, um, that is really all I have for us because... Yeah, I'm not, I don't like reading ghost stories, and that wasn't fun for me. I just want to put it out into the universe that I am not a horrible, cruel podcast co-host. I did this to myself. Corinne suggested this topic. I did. I absolutely, this is entirely my fault. (laughs) Frequently, nine times out of ten, if I go into a recording saying, so I scared myself, it's my own fucking fault. Yeah. It is very rarely Amanda's fault. I, she has only given me nightmares once. I have had to uh, call my therapist after my research before. So. It's fine. We make good life choices. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my therapist was like, why Why are you doing something that scares you? And I was like, because it means I get to hang out with my friend and be a nerd. Healthy life choices. Yep. Yep. That's that's who we are. Sorry. Um, Sorry, Kelsey, if you ever listen to this. <laughs> I'm not sure I have ever told my therapist I have a podcast. <laughs> I don't know. My coworkers know. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, anyway, this was this was really fun for me. This is a trip. Um, and not least because I got to subject people to my horrific singing <laughs> twice. <laughs> twice. Um, so yeah, I don't think I have anything else to add. Uh, our next episode will be in 2023. Oh, that makes me want to vomit. Um, and we actually have some really fun, potential fun interviews The, the universe is up. lining up to make 2023 a year to watch, guys. It's exciting. And by watch, I mean listen, because will we ever do video content? God only knows. Look, it's a lot harder to edit video content, and Corinne edits this show so that I sound like I have ever spoken a complete sentence in my life. <laughs> so it's it's all AI voice replacement. I just type in your lines. Blah, ha, 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 ha. That's not what I do, guys. That is not it at all. But she definitely uh, edits out a lot of um, uh, the really long, awkward pauses. Where you can tell we're thinking about, like, was that funny? Should I laugh? <laughs> yeah, that was actually funny. Especially anytime we're recording separately. And there's that lag. Yeah. We can't bounce off of one another quite as well because we're not in person. And, oh, the awkward, awkward silences. I'm like, I'm just going to shorten that. Yeah. Peek behind the scenes, guys. Yeah. Um, but anywho, thanks for listening. I hope you guys are having a fantastic um, holiday, whether it's winter or not where you are, I think we have a couple listeners who are in the Southern Hemisphere. Definitely so, do. Um, you know, enjoy, gosh, enjoy the sunshine. Some of us don't have it right now. <laughs> um, and yeah, sweet dreams and caffeinated nightmares, everyone. Good night. You know that feeling when you're searching for a new horror book, but you're just being stared down by a wall of Stephen King? We're trying to change that. We're Butcher Cabin Books, a new horror-focused bookstore giving shelf space to indie horror writers. Don't worry, we still carry King, but he's quarantined to his own section. Learn more at horrorbookstore.com, where you can buy books online along with merch and mystery boxes. Or you can visit us in person in Louisville, Kentucky, where we're open year-round. Thank you for listening to Graveyard Coffee Talk. Our theme music is Pretty Little Dead Girls by Seanan McGuire copyright 2006 and used with permission. Our cover art is by Kyle Welsh. If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at graveyardcoffeetalkpod or on Twitter at talkgraveyard.